Guys, welcome to High Point Church. My name is Andy. Uh, it's already been a great morning. I have the privilege of being in the front row uh, each week, you know, because I, you know, I jump up on stage and off stage, so it makes a little bit more sense. But it's always fun to to be in the front row because you see all the shoes that people are wearing. I don't know if you caught all the shoes that were happening on the stage today. There was a yellow pair of shoes happening back here. We've got ankle-high boots happening over here. We've got little blue shoes happening back here. There were more different colored shoes happening on this stage, and I loved it. It just it made worship wonderful for me this morning, seeing those yellow shoes just glistening and, and, and you know, beckoning to me. Guys, we're so glad that you're here. Um, we're a part of a ministry called Every Nation, and we believe in planting churches. We believe in reaching our communities. Uh, we believe in reproducing ourselves. And when you look around the room, you'll notice that this, this room looks a little bit different. Uh, there are not just, uh, there's not just people that look like you. And we are intentional about trying to engage our city in such a way that it actually represents what heaven is going to look like. That's something that we value. It's something that's important to us. And I am thankful that you're here today. We're about to get into the Bible today. And I believe God's going to challenge you to grow, maybe in ways that you haven't grown before. You might be sitting here today. In fact, I know some of you are here, and you're still on the fence as to whether God is true, whether God is real, whether Jesus is who he says he is, and whether he really was raised from the dead. And I want you to know I'm thankful that you're here also and that this is a great place for you to explore, ask questions, and discover what faith really is all about. Thanks for being here this morning. You guys ready to start growing? You ready to be challenged this morning? I know you're re- you were really excited about that. I could tell. The way that you, you, know, you jumped onto that question, uh, I could tell. You are pumped about straining your spiritual muscles. Uh, We're in a series called Goals right now, and there's rarely anything fun about setting new goals at the beginning of a year. I mean, it sounds fun until it actually comes time to, to doing them. The number one goal that people have when they start a new year is weight loss, and nobody likes working out to lose weight. We've got some trainers that work here. We've got people who work at the gym, and I'm going to tell you, there's nothing higher than gym memberships at the beginning of the year, and there's nothing lower than gym activity one month later. True or, true or not? Is it also not so true? It's true. Well, nothing, no, nothing's different when it comes to our own spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is hard. Forcing yourself and training yourself to grow and become more like Jesus That's tough. That means there are things in your life that have to die and go away. There are other things that have to be birthed and have to grow, and those things can be difficult. But you know what? It's worth it. Growing and becoming more like Christ in your marriage, in your parenting, as a a leader, it's worth it. So this morning we're going to pray, and we're going to jump right in. You guys ready? Father, thank you. We thank you that you are a God worth worshiping. You're worth our time on a Sunday morning. You're worth our time during the week. God, you're so great and you're so big and you care about all these big things that are in our lives. But Lord, I also 
I'm thankful that you care about the small things too. I know there, there are a lot of things in our lives that maybe we haven't even brought to your attention yet, but I thank you that you're the God of every detail of our lives. And so right now we're asking uh, that you'd help us grow in the little things, God, and also the big things. Amen. Amen. Benjamin Franklin is famous for a quote, and just so that I don't jack it, I'll say it right here. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Some of you have heard that before. Some of you might even have that on your computer somewhere. Some of you have a little side hustle that you're trying to get off the ground. And the reality is it won't get anywhere without a plan of action. It'll just stay a really great idea. If you fail to plan, you, you, you plan to fail. Thank you. And it's the same as it pertains to our spiritual growth. Most of the time we say, man, I really want to grow. 2018, I'm going to go back to church. My wife and I are going to go to church. I'm going to get my kids going. You know, we're going to, we're going to be a part of a life group. We're going to do all these things, and it, it sounds nice that, you're, that you want to grow, and that's true, but rarely does it translate into an actionable plan of any kind that you can begin to, you know, uh, work out with, so to speak. When you go to the gym, the most intimidating thing is knowing what to actually do. That's why those Facebook videos are so popular of people who have no idea how to use the equipment, and they look like buffoons. You know what I'm talking about. They are some of the best videos. People having no idea how to use the equipment, and they're just out there, you know, you know, they're just swinging their arm, thinking they're getting a good workout. You do not have a plan here. You just showed up at the gym. You got some good-looking workout clothes and just showed up. No, that's not how it works. We've got to have a plan to grow spiritually as well. You guys tracking with me? Um. Here's our plan, 14,000-foot plan here at High Point. Actually, let me tell you what our plan is not first. How about that? Because as, when, it, when it comes to the Bible Belt, it's easy for us to think that what we, our, our best goal is to fill this room with people. And while I desire for this room to grow, and it is, even looking out here today, there are new people that I don't know. Welcome. But understand, our greatest goal isn't just to put behinds in seats. Our goal as a church isn't to have somehow the coolest clothes as a church or on the stage. We're not trying to have the trendiest service. Does this make sense? I, I'm not concerned about whether or not we have the most explosive, dynamic, talented worship team. That's not what concerns me. Obviously, we want things to be excellent, but we are not trying to somehow uh, uh, equate spiritual vitality and spiritual growth with, with trendiness, coolness, or somehow talent. That does not equate to spiritual depth, spiritual maturity, or spiritual growth. And somehow, we have confused the two. And I want to be a great communicator, but I want you to know the best messages preached on this microphone will not change you. Only Jesus can change you. And that means that you 
have to grow in your hunger and thirst for more of Jesus. You might have heard it said before, but just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a chicken nugget, right? Just bear with me here. Going to church doesn't make you a mature Christian. You with me? You don't, turn, you don't turn into a mature Christian because you showed up or attended somewhere any more than you walk into McDonald's and you start turning into a Big Mac. It just doesn't work that way. That's probably a poor analogy, but <laughs> it came to me. You know, it was one of those moments. I'm, stick, I'm sticking with it, okay? This is what Jesus says, or this is what the Scriptures tell us in Psalm 23. This is David foreshadowing Jesus as king. We have David as king, and he says that, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. My cup that I drink of as king, it's overflowing. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love this idea that is king. You've set this banquet table before me. It's filled with bounty. It's filled with fruit and food and I've got a cup and that cup is so full that there's just there's wine and juice literally just running over the sides of it. That's what my relationship, God, with you is like. That's what David is saying. Jesus says something kind of similar. He says, whoever believes in me, John 7, 38, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I love this picture. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow. There's a river that, 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 that the Holy Spirit, it's not a real river. You're not just going to start spewing water as a Christian. But there's something inside of you. It's like a, a cup that overflows, a river that's just pouring forth water, and it spills out. That's what relationship with God is supposed to look like. That you'd be so full of the Spirit, so full of God that people would just be around you and it would they'd get wet from it. Does that make sense? Paul says this in Ephesians 5, 18. He says, don't get drunk on wine. Now, that's a message in and of itself. Stop getting drunk. But he says, don't get drunk on wine. That, that leads to debauchery. It leads to foolishness. It leads to dumb decisions. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So here we have David saying, my cup, it's, it's filled to the top and it's overflowing. And Jesus is saying, the Spirit inside of you, it's filling you so much that it's like rivers of living water are, are pouring forth from you. And then Paul says, hey, stop filling yourself on wine and getting drunk. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet one of the things that we struggle with, do we not? Whether you are sitting here and you are a Christian, whether you grew up going to church, whether you're new to faith, or whether you're, you're undecided. We love to fill our lives with things other than the thing that we need most. 
And that's God. The Spirit of God inside of us. And I'm guilty of this. Paul is saying, don't be drunk on wine. Don't fill yourself on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, it may not be wine. It may not be alcohol. And this isn't a message about drinking habits or anything like that. I could care less whether you have a glass of wine at dinner or whatever. I do not care. But here's what I do know. That whether it's wine or something else, we have a tendency to fill our lives to the brink of overflowing with things other than the Spirit. With things other than God. How often does our life get filled to the top with being angry? You're at home and you can't think about anything else. Just weighing on your mind. Eating you up. We get filled with discouragement, filled with fear, filled with bitterness, unforgiveness, filled with depression, filled with criticism, filled with, filled with dot, 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 anything but more of God. And I have great news for you today. Because some of you know that you're, you're, you, if I was going to have you raise your hands, many of you would raise your hands. Sometimes I need to raise my hands in that moment. And this is one of those, 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 those points at the beginning of a year where you're able to kind of look back and reflect and make some course correction and say, okay, hey, you know what I need more than anything else? Is I need to be filled with the spirit of the living God. You know what I need again? I need my cup to overflow with God. Maybe for the first time or maybe again. You know what I need? I need those, that river of living water, that geyser to just erupt again. God, that's what I need. You're right. It is what you need. And the great news is, is Jesus teaches us he encourages us, and he even equips us to not only have that kind of relationship with him, but to teach and encourage others to do the same. We have, we have a toilet in our house that, well, we have a toilet in our house. That's always good news. <laughs> yeah. Woo. We have a toilet in our house that has a tendency to not work right, okay? And, and I don't mean like gross things are happening with this toilet. I just mean, you know, uh, you know you'll, you'll use the restroom and, you know, you'll jiggle the handle and nothing happens. You're like, okay. It'll go months working just fine and then months where it just doesn't. And you, you just have to, you know, you tape the top off the toilet and you literally just tap a little piece of equipment and all of a sudden the water fills up. It's an issue of water. So I don't know what it is. Some of you are going to come to me afterwards and say it's this. I, I don't care. I don't know. I, I don't do that kind of stuff, okay? I don't do that. I take a screwdriver. There's a couple screws. I literally just see the screws, and I'm like, well, I'll just tighten that. And then if, it's fine again for a couple months. It's great, okay? Put the lid back on. We're good to go. But hear this, because this is the picture of so many of our lives. We're... We, we, are, we are designed to have water running through us. 
the relationship with God, you're not the end user. You're, you're, you're a conduit. The, the rivers of living, living water are flowing in you and through you. But more often than not, oftentimes we, we find that the plumbing's not working. And it's just not, it's just things feel jammed up. You, you know, you're, you're jiggling the handle and you're wondering, what's, what's going on here? This thing isn't working. And I wish I could tell you just, well, just pull the lid off the back and throw some tools in there and jiggle it around and it'll be fine. But guess what? That's no plan. And guess what? I keep having the recurring problem, which tells you that what I'm doing doesn't work. And yet that's how we treat spiritual growth. Well, I'm back in the same place again, so I'll just, I'll just kind of cling my screwdriver around in here and tighten a screw and hope for the best. I'm hoping for the best that my children will be mature and will love Jesus. I'm hoping for the best for my marriage. I'm just kind of hoping, and you just kind of bop along. And I want you to know, with great news today, that there's a better way. Now that you know all of the inner workings of my plumbing challenges at my house, before we get into some practicals, I just want to continue hitting this point. This thing's all over the place today. I'm going to just leave it alone. We're not the only ones who struggled with this. Meaning, our goal in 2018 as a church in becoming mature and becoming complete and becoming more like Christ isn't to somehow attain to perfection. It's simply to begin becoming more like him, whether that's in small ways or large ways. But sometimes, again, in Christianity, we look and it's kind of an all-in or all-out thing. You either are all the way in and you just, you love Jesus or somehow you just don't. And I want you to hear that Jesus chose 12 men to follow him. And these guys were the most dysfunctional, jacked up, banged up dudes. And he used them to do extraordinary things. And a lot of times, the plumbing wasn't working right. And a lot of times, so, I mean, it, it looked like the lights weren't even turning on. James and John. John being one of Christ's most beloved disciples. At one point, Jesus is, you know, there's some friction with some people in the, one of the villages. And they say, Jesus, how about we do this? How about we pray for God to send fire down to burn these guys up? This is a great idea. Do it. Do it right now. Jesus, do it. <laughs> and Jesus is like, you guys don't have a clue yet. Yet this is the disposition of their heart. This is who God's using to birth his church. Okay? They want to murder people. We laugh about it. I promise you in the moment, it wouldn't have been a laughing matter. Because Jesus really could have done that. And it reveals how the plumbing is not working right in their heart. Where's the cup that's overflowing with compassion and mercy and grace and kindness? It's not there yet. But it's going to get there. Maybe it's not James and John. Maybe it's Judas who Jesus has an amazing amount of compassion and grace with, even though he knows Judas is going to completely blow it. Jesus, who's got the first small group, doesn't have, I mean, all the guys aren't even bought in. Even Jesus loses a guy. Here he is stealing, 
plotting against Jesus. These are his closest crew. You got guys with wrong priorities, lack of compassion. You've got racism taking place in the early church. You've got faithlessness. You've got issues with trusting. You've got people who, who aren't sure, who are doubting, etc., etc., etc. And Jesus uses them. He draws close to them. Something happens to them that we're trying to pin our fingers on today. What happened to these people? Because if we can isolate that, maybe in 2018, we too can become more like Jesus. With me? So what did Jesus do? How did Jesus equip his followers to change the world? We have no moment other than Jesus pulling his disciples aside and giving them a little teaching moment here and a little teaching moment there and then watching him preach to the crowds and do his ministry. But there's no moment that we see in Scripture where Jesus is like, guys, come here. You know what we're going to do? I'm going to take five weeks, and uh, we're not going to focus on anybody else right now. I'm going to focus just on you, and uh, I've got the most amazing curriculum. This curriculum is going to blow your mind, okay? We're going to work through some of the scrolls. You know, in the Old Testament, I've got Zechariah here. I've got Amos. You probably haven't read Amos. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're going to work through the content here. We're going we're gonna to exegete it together, and I'm going to teach you some theology, and it's going to wreck your It's going to blow your mind. And once we're done with that, you're going to be fully equipped to change the world. You guys ready? Why don't you go ahead and sign up? It's going to be about 30 bucks. That doesn't happen. Okay? Obviously, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> but that moment, we don't have any moment that's even close to that. Here's what we have. In fact, when Jesus died and the disciples began uh, the early church was getting birth, and we see spiritual gifts on display in the book of Acts. And we see men and women suffering for their faith. We see the early church receiving persecution for the first time. We're beginning to see miracles happening. The, the leaders of the church, I hate to say this, these, were, these were, would have been people like me, so to speak. The professionals, okay? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're getting together. And it says that the only thing that they could find in common with all of these people is what? They were ordinary men. This is what the Bible actually says, and I quote, ordinary men. The only thing they could find was that they had spent time with Jesus. Now, I'm not discounting classes, and I'm not discounting. We have them. We're doing first steps. I'm not discounting the purple book or foundations or next steps or mission trips, right, or all these things. But what I'm getting at is that the single most determining factor in spiritual growth and maturity is time spent in God's presence. That is what you need in 2018 more than anything else. 
That will transform you more than any single thing, more than any conference, more than any preaching. And you say, well, I experienced God's presence in those moments. And that might be true, but you must learn how to encounter God on your own, in your home, in your car, in your shower, for you, that you might be changed and transformed. That is what you've got to find. That is what you have to encounter. You say, well, I don't have time. Yes, you do. You do. Oh, you do. This is kind of a Yoda-ish moment. We all do. I was laughing. My brother-in-law and, and his wife, Amy's sister, they were in town. They were driving back through from, from Florida on the way to Nashville. And we were sitting around talking about our phones. And the reality is, you know, there is a culture that's grown up now. And it's second nature for us when we have time, any kind of free time. Oh, the kids are, you know, upstairs. The kids went to bed. Well, that's the only free time you have if you have children. <laughs> but what do you do? Ah, you know, I'm just going to float around on here, play a little game, mindless. I'm going to read Facebook. I'm going to be on Instagram, Snapchat, you know, blah, blah, blah. There'll be a new one next week, okay? There probably is. I'm probably already behind, okay? And my point is we can begin to redeem the time. We can begin to carve a little bit more time on the front end. We can begin to carve in a little bit more time on the back end. And the reason I say this, this is the most simple message for you to understand, and it is the most difficult message to actually apply. Because it requires the same kind of discipline that you've got to muster to get up and go to the gym. Nobody naturally wants to do this because God's presence will work on you. It will change you. It will begin to convict you. It'll make you a better husband. And becoming a better husband is painful. It'll begin to teach you. His presence, his spirit will work in you and shape you into being a better mother and a better wife. And that's painful. A better boss and an employee. Oh, and you've got to do something with what the Spirit of God is talking to you about by being in His presence. And I promise you, some of you are sitting here, and I can speak to this as someone who has been in moments like this. You know, when my dad died, I was depressed was discouraged. God, where were you? My dad is 51 years old. Why did this happen? Not only that, I was so confident that I was going to go to the hospital. I was going to lay hands on my father's body in the emergency room, and he was going to just jump off that table. I just was so sure of it. And that did not happen. And it's not like that just goes away after a minute. And some of you, you know the realities of being discouraged. And as I talk to you about spending time with God, it's actually the last thing that you want to do. Some of you are here because you know it's the right thing to do. But it doesn't mean that you really want to do it. To have relationship with him. And I'm asking you to hear me with so much grace today. Because I know that place 
is real and it's true. And one of the things that you have to do more than anything else is just dig down and find an ability in your heart to just take a deep breath and get in God's presence again. Read your Bible for a few minutes. Turn on some worship music. By the way, guys, you want to spend time with God? How do you do that? You get your Bible, for starters. You start reading it. You don't know where to start? Okay. You could start in Genesis 1. Don't do that, though. Start in Matthew chapter 1. Start reading in the New Testament. Start reading about Jesus. Chapter a day. Start praying about what, what, what God's teaching you in those moments. It's just a chapter. Start, start thinking about it. Start meditating on it. We, we are becoming scripturally delinquent. Get a Bible. Use your phone and actually begin to read it again. And then pray about it again. Get a worship album and turn it on. Close your eyes and sit there. I know that sounds crazy. And yet the men of old of the scriptures, what does it say? It says that they meditated in God's presence. They meditated day and night on his word. Do we do that? Most of us don't. We're consumed by things that make absolutely no difference in our life. And I get it. I get it. What else happened? That wasn't it. Jesus did spend time with these disciples, and they willingly chose to spend time with Jesus. Okay? It was their choice to stay or go. But that's not the only thing that happened. Luke chapter 9, 1 through 6. The Bible says this, that when Jesus had called the 12 together, this is the 12, the, 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 the disciples, they go on to, to birth the early church. It says that he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim, your, your Bible might say to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. That's the 12. Now, come on. That's the 12. Is it really fair to to say that Jesus is asking us to do that? Maybe. See, Jesus looked at his, the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples in this moment. And it says that he gave them power and he gave them authority. Power and authority. Power is the ability to do a thing. Authority is the right to exercise that power. So not only does he give the 12 the actual power to do it, he then gives them the right to exercise that very power. Now, there are a lot of people who have power, but they don't follow, they don't earn the right to actually use that power. And then there are people who've earned the right, and they just never use the power that God's given them in the first place. You guys with me this morning? Just bear with me. Because Jesus doesn't end with the 12. 
The 12 get back and they're like, dang, that was amazing, Jesus. That was awesome. But Jesus says, great. Couple chapters, next chapter. After this, the Lord, what did he do? He appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So wherever Jesus was going to enter, wherever his presence was going and heading, he would send people on the front end. Two by two. 72 of them. The harvest is plentiful, he says, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals. And don't greet anybody on the road. Meaning, this is a 911 call. Get there. And so the 72 go. These are 72 people. Men, women, I don't know. We don't know. 72 people who we don't have any names for. 72 people who are just average Joes who've put their faith in Jesus, and Jesus looks at them and he says, go. I want you to go and take care of my business. And they come back in verse 17. It says, they returned with joy and said, the Lord, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now that tells me a lot. It tells me that his disciples, the 72, they weren't somehow so mature that they just knew what was going to happen. Even they were surprised. They're like, oh, oh my gosh. Can you believe this just happened? I cannot wait to tell Jesus this. Like, we just prayed for that guy. And that person got healed. We just preached. And that person responded. Even I wasn't sure it was going to happen. And so we see Jesus doing a couple things here. He's giving authority and power to those who would simply profess to follow him. He's giving them power and he's giving them authority. He's giving you and I as believers of Christ. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you have a different kind of power accessible to you. The, the ability by the Spirit to call things that are not as though they are. That is the same Spirit, the Bible says, that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. That's pretty tremendous. And so now you have power and authority as an agent and a full-blown representing ambassador of Jesus Christ in His kingdom to be a change agent for your community, your village, your people. This is what we see Jesus. This is how we see him equipping people. We see him drawing them into time with him, and then he sends them out, and they are ill-prepared for what comes next. And I want you to hear this, because sometimes we, we, we wait we wait, we wait, and we wait, thinking that if we finally would know enough, if we'd attend enough this, if we'd have enough this, then finally we would be ready. And I want you to know that half the time, the actual sending is the equipping. The sending is the equipping. 
Jesus hasn't fully empowered them. He hasn't died. He hasn't gone away. They're not released yet. He is still commanding the ship, but he has sent them out. They don't know what they're doing, but they're going out there, and they're making it happen. And he's coming back, and they're telling him things, and he's probably coaching them. He's probably teaching them in these moments. But understand, it wasn't just sitting around having a little kumbaya moment until you finally felt ready. No. Are you nervous? I'm nervous. Do you know what you're doing? No. Do you? Me either. Perfect. Go. Descending is the equipping. Now, you've heard me say this, and I'll qualify it again. I believe in teaching. When we, have, when we go on mission trips, we have, we have training moments. We have coaching moments. You know, we've got a group of life group leaders right now that we're coaching in our house right now. How to get better at this. So there's reality to that, but understand, there is no defining moment where once you finally cross that line, you're ready to be used in the kingdom. The plumbing starts working the minute you say, yes, and I do. I will. The water stops and gets jammed up when we refuse to spend time in his presence and we refuse to just begin to go. And we keep what what God has given us to ourselves. So much growth is never experienced because we never learn to give away what God has given us. And I want you to know in 2018, we're going to stretch ourselves this year. We didn't go to as many places as I liked, would have liked to have gone in 2017. But that's changing this year. We're praying through. We've already started building the relationship with a children's home that's just a few minutes down the road. With children whose parents are either gone or in, in, in such situations that they're not able to care for their kids. We met 27 kids in this 15-acre uh, measure of property, and they need people to help with simple things like welding, construction, building things, burning leaves and branches. And they need other people who will take the time to invest in relationships with some of the kids. Guess what? We're going to do something about that. If I go by myself, I'll go by myself. But we're going to do something about it. We've been praying through ways for us. Are we ready? Are we ill-prepared? Yes. But are there some things we're going to be crossing over and just saying, okay, here we go. There's going to be some moments like that this year. We've got mission trips coming up. And guess what? I would encourage you, ill-prepared or not, to take a jump off the diving board and go on one. You might need to get to an ENC conference, and that is your moment to just say, okay, here we go. If you're a college student, fine. Do it. Part of the equipping is the sending. Part of you growing is choosing by faith to experience what you have not experienced yet. There's more and we're going to get to it next week. But ladies and gentlemen, it's 2018. 
And this is the direction that we're going. First week, we talked about engaging our community. The second week, we talked about establishing fresh foundations. And it's the third week, this week, in 2018, we are going to be equipped the way Jesus equips his ministers to get the job done. And that means that we are going to be hungry for more of his presence and spend more time growing and being changed by him. And it also means by faith, stepping out a bit more and trusting him in areas of unknown. Stand to your feet, church. You might be new here today. You might be wondering, man, that dude is like yelling on a microphone and sweating a ton. What is his problem? Well, here's my problem. It's actually not a problem. (laughs) I believe God is worth being passionate about. I remember when I had no passion and no zeal for God or his kingdom. It was, I was devoid of it. I was bankrupt. I knew all the truths about Scripture, but it was not alive to me. It had not changed me or made me new. It wasn't something that excited me, that I was living for, and I desperately wanted something more. Some of you in that spot right now. Some of you have never been to a church in a, in a cafeteria where we're setting up pipe and drape And being crazy enough to show up at 7 a.m. to set things up. You know what? We think God is worth it. We think encountering his presence together is worth it. And we also think creating an environment where somebody who doesn't yet know Christ or is trying to decide about Christ, if we could help create an environment where they can ask questions and they can encounter him, it's worth it. And that's why we do what we do. But I also know right here, right now, part of what you're also wanting is you're wanting to grow and become more like him. And so I'll remind you before we wrap today, if you want to become more like Jesus, then today make a choice to deliberately set aside time for reading your scriptures for prayer, even if it's just five minutes. Five minutes is better than no minutes. And be willing to let God use you. Father, thank you this morning that your spirit fills us up and we are filled up by spending time with you and by going, by being sent God, those who refresh others, they themselves are refreshed, you said in the book of Proverbs. And this morning I'm asking, God, that you would help us. For those of us who are stuck, who have been jammed up, where the the water's just not been working right, Lord, I'm asking that you loosen things right now. I I, I, I pray that it wouldn't just be some quick fix in our hearts, but that we would truly encounter your loving kindness and your grace today. And, Lord, I also pray, Lord, if we've been on the sidelines or if we've just been unwilling to say, yes, God, let it be today that we're used afresh by you. Let us step out into the unknown, the adventure of following you today. Equip us, God. In the name of Jesus.